Now let's ask God to help us understand his word. Uh, True and living God, we do pray uh, that your word would do its work in our lives, that we would be helped by your word to turn and trust Jesus for life, and that through its instruction, its rebuke, correction and training, we would live now lives which please you through trusting and following Jesus. And help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the old year is about to pass away and with a late night and a lot of expensive fireworks, we'll usher in 2018. Uh, For some, I guess tonight and the next day will be a time for setting goals and making resolutions about they want to achieve in the new year. But for me, the coming of the new year compounds the sense that in life, every one of us, whether we consent or not, whether we approve or not, is carried along by the relentless current of time, carried along on that ever-rolling stream so that each year, each day, each one of us is being brought nearer to the end of our days. That sense has been heightened for me this year by going through some family uh, photo albums with my sister at the beginning of November, which was the first anniversary of my mother's death. They were albums, these ones, I had not seen before. Photograph of my father's parents' wedding and of their homes and growing family, in addition to the albums of my parents' and mother's parents I'd seen when helping go through their things a year before. It's uh, the people in those old albums, you know, my grandparents and great-grandparents, aunts, uncles, father and mother, and many I could not identify, were happy and they were beautiful, especially in those wedding photos. They were busy raising their families, learning and practising their trades. There was actually a photo of my grandfather, who was an electrical engineer, on the platform of Milson's Point Station in North Sydney as part of the crew that bought the first electric train across the Harbour Bridge. You know, they were busy with life, maintaining their homes, whether in Bathurst or Epping or Haberfield, going on picnics, enjoying the sea in the bush, playing with the family dog. They were in the full flush of life as they looked. There's always a certain poignancy in thinking about your family. But they were in the full flush of life, these people who loved me and gave me life, and they are all gone. They did not really desire or plan to go, but they had no power to remain, not one of them. And looking at those albums, reflecting on the death of my parents, tells me that whatever my circumstances, busy or idle, content or discontent, alone or embraced in family, one day I will follow. And not only I, every one of us, you, you will follow them, you will follow your forebears in departing this life. We cannot hold on to this beautiful and glorious thing called life which we take so much for granted. All flesh, all people are like grass, 
and all their glory, their love and constancy is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. That is so true. We are like the flowers of the field, all beautiful, gloriously beautiful, more beautiful, said our Lord, than Solomon in all his glory in their time. And then with the passing of a season, a day, a month, a week, faded and withered and then gone. There is an ache as I look at those photos, as there is an ache in all our hearts, as we think of those who have loved us and have now gone from us. And as we think that we ourselves must one day, soon or late, give up our loves, our enjoyment of this life, leave its extraordinary beauty, the hovering of a kite in the sky, the flash of a rainbow lorikeet in the treetops, the comfort of a cup of tea with a friend, the smiling of a baby. We too are here for a moment and then gone like the sparks from a campfire carried up in the heat and then lost in the darkness, or like a mist that vanishes from before us just as we seek to try and bring it into focus. Grief at loss and fear of loss, of losing all, mark our lives. And we know it. We know we have no power to remain, that as the prayer book said, in the midst of life we are in death. We know it, I know it, you know it. Now we can try and distract ourselves with the busyness of life. We can seek to deny how impermanent our life is, pretend that we'll go on forever. We can try and numb the consciousness of our impermanence in drink or drugs. We can try and preserve our presence in monuments or immortalise ourselves in a YouTube clip. We can pretend it doesn't matter, that the life in us does not long for more life and shudders at the prospect of its loss. We can do all those things, but none of those things will stop us from withering like the flower when the breath of the Lord blows upon it, from departing when the day written in God's book comes. And none of those things can fully satisfy our hearts, can fully and finally silence that sense that our life is so fleeting that no love or achievement will last. What can be said? Is there anything that can be said that can give hope? Any word to speak to those who know that they and all people are like a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes? Is there any word that can give comfort in the presence of the continuing loss, give peace in our fear of being swallowed up with all the others by an insatiable death? No human word has that power, for all their speakers are in the thrall of death themselves. Oh, our words can look permanent, inscribed on stone or printed on a page, but they die with their speakers. Oh, they may echo in the world for a time, but what lasting significance they have for others they borrow as they reflect God's word and resonate with created reality, or as they draw on the life of their still living hearers to sustain them. But human words have no power to fulfil themselves, no power to change our state, no power over death. And they're spoken by those who are also caught up in the fleeting nature of human life. And so they can be always be contradicted by what comes after, 
what is unknown to those who speak. Our words have no more power or truth than those who speak them. With the death of their speakers, human words have no power to affect their promises, realise their warnings, no power to give life to another life. That's why when somebody says, I'll love you forever, you know they are lying. Sorry. Okay? No power to give life to another life. And human words have no power to conform reality to the way they proclaimed it to be. Here, all the merely human words we may. Believe all the merely human words we may. And we will fade and wither and depart without comfort or hope like all who have gone before us. But there is a word that is different, a word that stands out from all other words because the one who speaks it is different. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of our God, spoken by God, by the God who knows all, who knows the end from the beginning and who will never have to correct what he says in the light of new knowledge or previously unforeseen circumstances. The word of our God, spoken by the God who can do all he will, who is almighty and so can bring to pass all he says. The word of our God, spoken by the God who is and will never not be and so will always be present to sustain and fulfil his word, never be separated from his word. This word, spoken to us in our passing, fleeting lives, endures forever. It may look the same on the printed page as our words. It may sound the same in our mouths as our world, our words. But having been spoken by God, it will always be. It will always be true, for it's spoken by the one who is true. It will always be reliable able to be trusted for the almighty God who does not change is always committed to what he has said committed to his promises committed to his revelation of himself committed to his judgments he has said of his word as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In this word, what is always true and sure and abiding intersects our fleeting lives. In this word, there is something each of us can grasp that will anchor our lives to eternity in the word that you hear week by week in this place, the word you see and read hopefully day by day in your Bible, you can anchor your life to eternity. All we speak, every human word, every human promise will fail and fall with the speaker. All we know and love will pass, all carried away by time. But here, the word of our God is something which will not pass away, something that time cannot consume, something which will not foil, fall, nor fail. Now that there is 
the word of our God. This enduring word is a wonder. It's not a wonder that God can speak to us. Don't be misled by those who only want to kind of start up God, an absent founder, and who then say that having started the world, it's beneath God's dignity and affront to his wisdom to have to intervene and deal with his creation. Oh, don't be misled by those who say that God cannot speak to his creatures, that somehow his creating has imposed some kind of limitation on him. Speech is his idea. Speech is his gift to humanity. As God said to Moses when Moses protested his lack of eloquence as a reason not to do what God was asking him, the Lord said, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord, now go? I will help you speak and teach you what to say. God has always been able to make himself and his will known. And he has time and again in history in speaking to his people, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, the list goes on. That God speaks is the claim of all the prophets, the claim most profoundly vindicated in the coming of the Son, whose words are the very words of God. And our deafness to his word does not deny the creator's speech. God speaks. It's the gods who cannot speak, the gods who cannot speak, are the dumb idols of human invention. You know, they're idols, silver and gold, have mouths but cannot speak. But the true and living God has always his word. He created the world by the word at the beginning and he continues to relate to his creation by his word. He speaks, he speaks to his people. I am the Lord, he says, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. The wonder is not that God can speak to his creation. The wonder is that God would speak to us. That there is a voice that calls to the prophet, cry, that commissions him to speak to a sinful and rebellious people. The wonder is that God would graciously condescend to deal not just with finite creatures who will always struggle relating to the God who is almighty, infinite spirit. No, that God would speak with sinful creatures, would want a relationship with those who have already rejected his word. And that's what a word does. Words are the vehicle of relationship. And God's word summons us into relationship with our creator. That God says to Isaiah, cry. That he would send his enduring word, his sure and true word, into a sea of impermanence and half-truths, of partially perceived reality and selfish distortion, send his word to be mishandled and misapplied, is all of grace. This word is God's initiative of mercy to a broken and distressed people, a people suffering for their rebellion against their creator and Lord. And that gracious condescension is wonderful. He to whom we could not speak because of our sin speaks to us. And think of that. If you had tenants in your house, your beautifully maintained and well-appointed house, the house, say, you had lovingly built, and those tenants then trashed the place, what would you do? 
Well, I guess if you could control your anger that you'd probably seek redress through the tribunal, seek reparation for the damage according to the law. And when that was finished, with all the hassle involved, you would probably say, I never want to deal with them again. I never want to see them or speak to them again. And you sometimes hear that, don't you? Someone say of someone who's wronged them, I won't pursue my claim against them. I won't seek to damage them in ways I could as they've damaged me. But I just want them out of my life. I never want to speak to them again. The people described by God as my people in Isaiah 40 had trashed his land, had broken his covenant, had gone and given their worship to dumb idols, had defamed God amongst their neighbours, and still God says to the prophet, cry, I have a word for them. And that is a wonder of grace. And we're all like Israel. We have God's good creation entrusted to us and we're trashing it. We're not giving God the thanks and honour that is his due for his good gifts to us, the gift of self-conscious, articulate life given to us all. Rather, we want to deny God any place in the world he has made for us and we use what he has given us against him and we give our loyalty to gods of our own creation, whether it's money or pleasure or our own autonomy or our own distortions of the creator. But God says to the prophet, cry. A cry that addresses all humanity, not just Israel. It's a cry for all flesh. God has a word for us. And that is a wonder of his grace. But even more wonderful is the content of this enduring word, this forever word. This is the word that speaks comfort to sinful people. The comfort that declares that their sin has been dealt with. How God will deal with their sin he'll reveal in Isaiah 53 where we see the servant is to pay for sin. But this word, this enduring forever word proclaims to God's people no more fear of judgment. And this is a word that God says, the word that says God himself will come to save his people. He will ensure their sin is no longer a barrier to them living in his presence. The good news the herald proclaims is, here is your God, verse 9. Here is your God, God himself coming with justice to re-establish his reign. And yes, the Lord himself coming with gracious compassion to gather his flock to himself. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And this enduring forever word, this word that promises that our sin will be dealt with and God will come and live amongst us, is a word that is focused on and fulfilled in Jesus, the good shepherd who will give his life for his sheep. We see that firstly, that it's his coming that the voice of the one calling in the wilderness prepares for. We know that as every gospel identifies John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, has that voice in the wilderness. They asked John, who are you? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. And Mark, as he begins his gospel, 
quotes Isaiah and turns to John. This passage speaks of Jesus. Its focus and fulfilment is on Jesus and his coming. And secondly, it's Jesus' glory seen in his coming, his ministry and his gospel that reveals the glory of God come to save his people for all humanity to see. We have beheld his glory, writes John. Glory is the unique one from the Father. And in the gospel, God shines the light of his glory in the face of Christ in our hearts. It is thirdly in Jesus' coming that sin is dealt with, that fear of judgment is removed. He died for our sins, says the gospel. That is the gospel. Christ died for our sins and rose again. And he has made us by bearing our sins in his body on the tree, says Peter, fit to be gathered to our great shepherd, returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It is in Jesus' coming that God himself comes to save his people, as the angel proclaimed to Joseph. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And he is the one called Emmanuel, God with us. And because this word, this word that endures forever, finds its focus and fulfilment in Jesus, this enduring word is a word that promises life and gives life, eternal life, to all who will believe. Jesus speaking in John, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to him who is pleased to give it. And how does he give that life? Very truly, verse 24, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed from death to life. All those words, which we should all know. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And let me encourage you to answer that question before you hear those words if you have a Christian funeral spoken at your funeral because it will be too late then. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives believing in me will never die. The word that endures forever is the life-giving gospel of Jesus. That's what we heard the Apostle Peter tell us. You have been born again to life, the life that is described in chapter 1 as a living hope through the resurrection, the life which involves an, imper an imperishable eternal inheritance. You have been born again, how? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever and this is the word, the gospel of Jesus' death for sin and rising again that was preached to you. In our knowledge that we are grass, like the flowers of the field, the word that's so unlike us endures forever, gives comfort and hope, because it is the word of the ever-living God, Father, Son and Spirit, the word of the one who has life in himself, the word of the one who came himself to save his people in the incarnate Son, 
the word that promises a life that endures forever, resurrection life that can never touch, that death can never touch again. Think on that and think on whether you know this word and value and love this word as you should. For one day, like me, you will be standing before the coffin or, the or at the graveside of some one you love. And I know many, like me, have already experienced this. And at that time, you will think of their life. All their last months and years may have been a grind of pain and confusion that dominated your thinking for that time. But after, that after, that, after their death, the whole of their life will come back into, their, into focus. And you'll think of their life and you'll see the wonder and the beauty of that in its time. And you will feel its absence, its aching loss. And you will know that all flesh is like grass and all its love and constancy like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, it cannot be stopped. We pass away like a sigh, we cannot stay. And I hope you know at that time that there is a word that endures forever. The word of Jesus, the ever-living Saviour. The word that will raise up those you love if they believe it, the word that will raise you up if you trust the Lord Jesus. Well, another year falls from the calendar. Another reminder as life rolls on that we are grass, here today, gone tomorrow, and that our allotted time is running quickly through the hourglass. I hope you know and feel that. I hope you're not seduced into thinking that you must not acknowledge, that you must deny and never face this basic human reality, our transience, if you want to be happy. For as Ecclesiastes says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of heart, of, of the heart, by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. You see, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning because wisdom reckons with what is, engages with reality. And facing our transience, acknowledging it, is the only way of starting to value properly for ourselves and others the word that endures forever. For in our aching awareness of our transience, there is this word that does not share our fleetingness. Only one word, the word of the living God. So make sure you know this word. This word that focuses upon and is fulfilled in Jesus. Distinguish it in your mind and in your reading habits from all human words so you know it. I hope you know it as a word to you, spoken to you. I hope you know it as a word that will never fail, a word that will raise you up. Know this word. Trust it, and so trust the God who is committed to his word, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, 
who is so committed to his word that the Son, the eternal word, became flesh to show us death itself could not stop his word from being fulfilled, from bringing the comfort to us that he has promised. And I hope you know it as a word to share. For all flesh is grass. There is no other enduring word, no other word that gives life than the word of the enduring and living God. And he has spoken his final word through his son, and there is no other for any. So speak this word to all, to all who share in our flourishing and fleeting life. Know this word. And if you're not going to fall into bed exhausted by children or ill health or work tonight, rather than being distracted by fireworks, which are even more fleeting and empty than our lives, meditate on these verses. Let them roll around in your mind. We are like grass. Our life is fleeting. We're here just for a moment and then gone. But the word of our God endures forever. And ask yourself, do I know it, really know it? Do I treasure it? Do I conform my thinking and life to what it says? Do I share it? Meditate on the enduring word and for a moment touch eternity. No, actually, that's wrong, isn't it? Be touched by the eternal and gracious God through his eternal word. For his touch is life to those who trust him. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, it is an extraordinary thing that you should have any interest in us at all. And an even more extraordinary thing that you should beckon us who have rebelled against your rule, who have so often sought to push you out of our lives, that you should beckon us into relationship with you. Our Father, we thank you for this good gift of life, but we confess that because of our sin, it is fleeting. Turn our hearts to listen to your call, to hear your word that endures forever, to hear it in the gospel of your Son that promises life, so that in our fleeting life we would have comfort and hope from knowing you, the saving God who speaks a word that gives life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.